Um, well, welcome. Hope you're doing well. Uh, this this is uh, it's actually mistitled in uh, the purple sheet. This is actually finding grace in the Old Testament. So if you came looking to find Jesus, sorry, you're only going to find grace. <laughs> Hopefully you'll find both. <laughs> um, but um, you know, our uh, first off, I'd like to introduce the teacher. Teachers Ann Douglas Williams. She's a rising senior at Mountain Brook High School. Um, she uh, loves country music, <laughs> likes long week walks on the beach. Um, yeah, she yeah she's she's quite a young woman, and uh, you know our purposes in this class, uh, we have several. One is we hope you know the, like I said last week, you know the, the New Testament's like that that thick, and the Old Testament's that thick. So if you can find gold in the Old Testament, there's just so much there. There's so much opportunity. So we hope that, that uh, this class will make the Old Testament more accessible for you and something you're more excited about in terms of your own personal Bible reading. Um, a second thing, too, is to, to give you some tools um, so that when you're reading it, it won't just be sulfur falling from the sky um, and, and things like that. You'll, you'll, you really will see the dynamics of the gospel. And the last thing, too, is just kind of to reinforce uh, what I like to call the gospel rhythm. Uh, you'll kind of start to see as we go through this that there's, um, yeah, there's this kind of, uh, there's this trend, there's this sequence um, to the gospel that, uh, that plays out throughout the whole Bible. Like it's very encouraging to me um, to see the gospel in the Old Testament because it affirms to me that like, this is the true universal message, the gospel. And, um, and it's not just with Jesus. It's like from the very beginning that the gospel is there. Um, so anyhow, so, so and Douglas. All right, so um, a lot of times, you know, I, for once, have seen the Old Testament as, um, you know, just stories about God's people, um, you know, a lot of the wrath of God. Um, so does anyone, do y'all believe there is an absence of grace in the Old Testament? Anyone? So why, why is that? Why do you think that? Because God saves the Jews and the Jews go away from them and he punishes them. And God saves them mm-hmm. and they go away from them and he punishes them. <laughs> Anyone else? What's your impression of the Old Testament? As the Old Testament. Sorry, was that? Well, um, here, anyone else? Any other impressions? This is good. It's really good. Um, well, to start out, uh, and you have a little, everyone, not everyone, I guess, has a little worksheet here. Uh, it says the gospel lens of interpretation. And um, so when you read the Old Testament, uh, here's the question that, there are two questions you're kind of looking, or, or you're kind of asking as you read a text. And, the, and it's really simple. And, it go, and it's, uh, if you're trying to find the gospel in a text, um, and by the way, I'm using the term gospel. I haven't even defined it. I hate it. I hate it when Christians don't define the gospel. But what I'm basically talking about when I'm talking about the gospel is how 
um, you know, man is sinful and in need of God's grace. And God is faithful to provide that grace. And so that, and we see that perfectly in the cross. Uh, we see that in Jesus, that you know, the, the cross says that our, 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 our sin is so deep that God would have to die on our behalf, and God's love is so great that he would die on our behalf. And so with that being said, when we're looking at the Old Testament, the two questions we're asking is this. The first question we're looking to ask is, how does this text reflect God's character as one who can and does provide redemption and grace? So basically, how do I see the character of God to provide grace? That's the first question. The second question that we're asking is, how does this text reflect our human, our nature, our, our human nature as people who need grace and redemption? So we're looking at God's propensity to provide grace, man's propensity to need grace. And so, um, so that's just kind of a basic lens through which we look at. Another thing that we look at, this is less important, a little more technical, but still interesting, is uh, what Brian Chapel, who's a Christ-centered hermeneutic scholar, calls a fallen human focus. Fallen human focus. Basically, when you read a text, you are looking for what is the problem in this text that is universal, that has been created by the fall. Um, and, uh, and, and if you can kind of come up with one word to encapsulate that problem, that does a lot to kind of make, this, make the text a lot more personal to you. Um, so if we are talking about how the Israelites have just crossed over the Red Sea, they're now in the wilderness, and they're in the desert, and there's no food, then the fallen human focus is we are incapable of providing for ourselves, or lack of provision or need. How about you? Need, one word. And so then, so that brings us into what, what, is, what is the human need for grace and redemption. And then we're going to look to what does God do to provide the grace? Well, manna falls from the sky, water pops up out of the desert, all kinds of things like that. So that, that just gives you a little example. And so uh, if you have a Bible this blue book here. Um, we're going to go right to the very beginning, just to, just as a little jumping off point. And we're going to go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is on page 5 of the Blue Bible. Um, and we're going to start at... Verse, uh, verse 15. Actually, let's start at verse 14. Um, and the, the point in this is just, Ann Douglas is going to show you how it's done. Uh, I, what I want to show you here is how the dynamic of the gospel starts at the very beginning of the Bible. If you've ever been in my Bible study, you've ever worked for me, ever been a volunteer with me, you're, gonna, you're just like, oh, here we go again. Because I start every single Bible study at the beginning of every single year with Genesis chapter 3. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but I just want to want you to see where the gospel, the, the trend of the gospel starts to occur here in Genesis 3. First off, you have, um, so we know that Adam and Eve, they have eaten from the tree. Sin has been introduced into the world. And God is now responding to the serpent and to Adam and to Eve. And in, in, in verse 14, uh, God is talking to the serpent. He says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, by the way, most significant verse of the whole Bible, some would say, a hermeneutic through which you can interpret all of Scripture, Genesis 3.15, uh, often called the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. 
So someone say this is the pro- this is the first proclamation of the gospel in the whole Bible. Uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. All right. So enmity that is a strong word means murderous hatred. It is uh, yeah vengeful hatred. That's another way it's that Hebrew word is interpreted. And he's talking about you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Basically, between God's people and those who are not God's people, basically between the forces of evil and the forces of goodness, which are God's forces. And so there's going to be this enmity. There's going to be this struggle. Because of sin, because of original sin, all of the friction in the world is, is, has occurred. And so that is the, the problem right there. That is the, hu- the human focus. Well, we don't need to say the, human, the fallen human focus. Just the, the need there is that man needs to be rescued and redeemed from this because it's a bad situation. And then at the second part of that verse, it says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The he that is being referred to there is Jesus. Out of nowhere, uh, you know, a, a uh, third person singular pronoun is thrown in. That's kind of, who, who is the person? Who is the he? He's not talking about Adam. He's talking about a he who's going to crush your head, Satan, going to crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Significant difference in uh, being, having your head bruised or crushed as compared to having your heel struck. And so this is foreshadowing that Jesus will come and conquer Satan, conquer sin and death, um, and the strike of the heel is the cross. Okay? And so the provision, the ultimate provision for the ultimate problem is Jesus. Okay? So we can see that. Human need, God's provision. Um, so that's the beginning. And it continues. You know, he goes through and he talks about um, you know, the, the, the curses on, on uh, Eve and on Adam. And then um, at, the end of the ver- at the end of the chapter, we see again, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother of all living. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Subtle little verse there, but again, they now have this problem. Remember when they, when they eat, they realize they're naked. And, they, and it says they have shame. Well, really the problem is they have sin. Uh, and, and, what, you know, and so you know, God covers their sin with a garment Implicitly, we talked about this last week. Implicitly, what this means is God has sacrificed an animal to create a covering to cover them for their sin. So this foreshadows the sacrificial system. This foreshadows, ultimately, Jesus being sacrificed on the cross. So again, human need, sin, need to be forgiven. God's provision, he covers their sin through sacrifice of another. All right, so again, seeing this dynamic... Um, last thing we even see in here is when God kicks them out of the garden. Uh, he says, uh, he, uh, the man, man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work to the work, the ground from which he had been taken. A lot of times we, hear, we see that as like God, God banishing them, God's condemnation. In reality, the human problem here is now they want to get into trouble. They have a sin nature. They want to get into trouble. And what happens if they eat from the tree of life? It means they never die. It means they live on this life, this world, forever. Does anyone want to live in this world for a thousand years? Like, give me my 75 and I'm going home, right? You know, checking out. And so this is, again, because of the human like, sinful curiosity, God is providing protection so that they don't live here eternally. 
So again, there it is. At the very beginning, gospel from the beginning of the Bible all the way through. And so now, Andelgus is going to show us a few more examples of how, again, we do kind of gospel-centered interpretation of the Old Testament, looking for the human need and looking for divine provision. So, go for it. All right, so... Um, first of all, we're going to go to Numbers 15, which is on your sheet, um, verses 37 to 41. And, uh, does anyone want to read that? Context. 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 The, um, this is when the Israelites have just gotten out of Egypt, uh, escaped Pharaoh's hand. Um, now they are wandering in the wilderness. Um, they are still homeless. They are still wanderers. They are poor people relying on God. So, um, yeah, does anyone want to read it? Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments, the blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated <coughs> to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Okay. So we know um, from being sinful humans that it's unnatural for someone to be completely obedient to the law. Um, so we need reminders. Um, we are prone to wander, kind of as the song suggests, um, so this is the Israelites' great need. They need guidance from the Lord. And uh, they've witnessed miracles from him, you know, being freed from Pharaoh, being given the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, the Red Sea parting for them, the manna God gave them raining from the sky. And even after all this, they still need guidance. Um, this just goes to show our great need for the Lord's direction. Um, throughout our whole lives, we're going to need his guidance, no matter how well or how badly our lives seem to be at the time. So um, anyway, so here's some background information on the tassels um, that you probably wouldn't know unless you looked it up like Cameron and I did. Um, so the tassels are a purplish blue, which is like, it's the color of royalty. And um, also the people who wore the tassels were the highest people <coughs> ever, like kings and uh, you know people of super high authority. and um, the fact that God tells his people to wear these um, tassels shows that they are each very special to God and that they have a place in his kingdom. Um, so the, like, the regular old Israelites um, were given imputed righteousness, meaning the Lord deems the lowly, once enslaved Israelites to have the same rank as the highest authorities. So he gives them what they wouldn't have if it weren't for his grace and love for them. Um, so the tassels are also reminders of the fact that they cannot keep the law by themselves. Um, they show that only God can save us from our sins. Um, it kind of brings man into reality, um, showing the vital need for a figure like Jesus. Um, I see it as a humbling thing to see that man cannot be perfect, which is why there's a need for a God as great as our God, um, one who sent his son so we could live with him for eternity. and. That's the beauty of Christianity, um, I think. Um, and verse 41, uh, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I'm the Lord your God. Um, it really highlights the vastness of God's perfection, his superiority, and especially his grace. So um, 
in conclusion of this passage, uh, he gives us the tassels because of how well he esteems us, though he knows we can't keep his law anyway, and that is grace. Damn. So, in the crowd, fallen human focus there. What is the universal problem that we see here that we all have? Sin, and what is a need that we have? Grace, and there's another one. Why do we have to wear the, they have to wear the tassels? Yeah, we need a reminder. We need, to rem- we need to be reminded. And so, as Ann Douglas said, what are two examples of God's provision in this? Tassels, they're a reminder, remind them of their status. And then what's, another, what's a final, the last thing she said, a final uh, grace? Blessing. blessing, yeah, and a blessing and a reminder of what he's done in the past. Like, I brought you out of you. So, good, good start. Um, all right, so next we're going to go to Jonah 1, and uh, I'm going to kind of get you all involved with this one. So we all pretty much know the story of Jonah. Um, you know, God came to Jonah and said, uh, you know, go to Nineveh and uh, preach against them because their wickedness is um, going against me. Um, so Jonah runs away from the Lord, and he gets on a ship, and he heads for Tarshish, which is the farthest known place in the world um, from where Jonah was. Um, So he gets on this ship, and when he gets on, he's there with these sailors, and all of a sudden this huge storm comes up. And, um, you know, it's like a deadly storm. If it weren't for what happened, they would have all been dead. But um, so Jonah, they're trying to figure out, the sailors are trying to figure out, you know, somebody has done something wrong. And that's why there's a storm. So they're each praying to their own gods. And uh, they're trying to figure out what people did. Then they finally, you know, they cast lots and they land on Jonah. And they're like, all right, Jonah, like, tell us, what did you do? Uh, You must have done something really bad. And he'd already told them he was fleeing from the Lord. So they knew something was up with him. So he says, all right, it's me. I'm running from God. Um, You know, I did wrong. Like, it's me that... uh, is causing this storm and so they're like all right well what should we do and he said cast me overboard and uh, then the storm will stop for you and uh, so they throw Jonah overboard and um, (laughs) immediately the storm calms and seeing this the sailors start praising God and uh, they start they you know start believing in Jonah's God um, and then Jonah gets swallowed by a whale, and um, <laughs> then Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and then the fish vomits him. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so do, you, do you want me to read, and then you can do you can do the first sure. first couple of examples, and then we can turn. It. Okay, great. There is there is so much so much grace yeah. in this. It's on, it's it's very subtle. All right. So. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jonas, the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After pray- paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay. So um, I guess first let's look at the Ninevehites and kind of, that's how, that's how you say it, right? Okay. Um, yeah, so they, we're going to look at their need for... Um, their need from God and how God fulfills that. So the Ninevehites were the most violent, one of the most violent groups in history, um, known for some pretty gruesome things. Um, so they were, their great need was 
what repentance and um, they needed repentance from God and so what do y'all think is the big grace that God gives them or he's trying to give them or he's trying yeah yeah I mean we know from lots of Old Testament texts that if God wanted to he could smite anyone he could bring them down just with one snap of his fingers but um <laughs> but uh instead he gives them the grace of Jonah um to save them and uh have them repent from their sin um so is Jonah sort of a figure sort of a Jesus like figure that's supposed to go there to save the Ninevites I guess that's the mm-hmm. parallel. Very inadequate Jesus figure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as a, as a functioning as a prophet, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, do you want? Uh, um, and then how about Jonah? Oh yeah, so Jonah, um, he's a prophet. Um, so his job is to listen to the Lord and do what the Lord tells him to do. Um, and so when the Lord asks Jonah to do more than he is prepared to do, he flees. And uh, we know from pretty much every story of biblical times that you cannot flee the presence of the Lord. Um, <laughs> so Jonah's attempt at running away from God obviously failed. Okay. Um, do you want me to read the next yeah. part? Yeah. All right. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went, went to him and said, how, uh, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so that he will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Um... Should I stop there or should I go? Um, go a little Okay. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this tr- trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's, yeah. that's good? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Um, so yeah, so the sailors, um, pretty much everyone in this story, actually yes, everyone in this story, has needs and then there's grace that God fulfills within all these people. So the sailors, um, they're just doing their thing, sailing to Tarshish, um, and when the storm comes about, they know that someone has upset their own God. Um, After lots of searching and casting lots and all that, um, the lots fall on Jonah, and they know that uh, they need to throw Jonah into the sea as a price for uh, the satisfaction of God's demands. So... um, this means that they have figured out the problem and that none of them would have to go overboard. Um, and God grants them grace, um, I guess, a little later on when... Uh, I'll just talk about that later. Yeah. But um, So Jonah, at this time, um, the first grace to Jonah is the storm, which if I were Jonah in the moment, I would not see that as a grace. I would see that, you know, wrath of God. But um, it's... It allows Jonah to admit to his flight and to confess his fault in running from God. Um, so, yeah, let's continue on. One, one question. What would we say is the, the fallen human focus for the sailors? Survive. Yeah. Or, or d- what's that? Self-preservation. Self-preservation, yeah, danger. Yeah. yeah, that's something we can all identify with. Mm-hmm. And then where do we see a pretty amazing grace um, to kind of meet that, meet that need? John told him to 
Yeah, yeah, that too, and the lot. The lot falls. You know, it says in Proverbs where the, yeah, the lot falls by the hand of God. Um, so yeah, so it's pretty... So Jonah doesn't fess up. They draw lots, and then they, find, then they zero in on him yet again. Yeah, I mean, it's very improbable. So you can see like the sovereign grace of God in that. It's, yeah. it's very cool. Um, sorry. Do you just want to read till the end? Yep, sounds good. Okay, uh, with verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And this, uh, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Um... Yes. So, this, the sailors. Um, there's another grace here when um, it says that as the, as at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So they were changed after this because the Lord saved them both from the storm and from their sins. Um, and also Jonah. Um, there's some more grace here for Jonah because. Um, the next verse is, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, so the second grace for Jonah is seeing or having the fish swallow him. Um, without the fish, Jonah would, not, would have definitely died. Um, he's out there in the middle of the ocean, you know, swimming probably not very well. Um, in a storm. Um, in a storm. Oh, that's <laughs> calm down. Yeah, but um, so, yeah, that's a grace that, uh, you know, God gave the fish to come swallow Jonah for um, a couple days so he could, you know, he could think over his actions while he was <laughs> sitting there. I don't know what else he would have been doing. But, um, but so... Talk about an amazing grace that the fish swims to the beach. Yeah. I mean, how many whales have you seen beach, you know, beach down at Gulf Shores, right? It's true. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. Um, yeah, so uh, then at the end of the three days, um, the fish you know, spits up Jonah, and um, that allows Jonah another chance to go and fulfill the um, <coughs> purpose of God's mission for him in Nineveh. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah. Anything else for that? Um, no, that's great. Right. Uh, um, questions on Jonah? Two, cr- two Chronicles. Two Chronicles. It's, it's always, it also shows the sovereignty of God, that there's mm-hmm. no way... I mean, his will will be fulfilled no matter what. Yeah. It's also encouraging, encouraging in a way that the, at the end of the book, Jonah really hasn't learned his lesson at all. No. I mean, he goes back to his old ways. I mean, he's pouting. He's really pissed off that the Ninevites have repented and God gave him mercy. He's pouting about it. 
and um, and he, you know, he's still rotten, you know, kind of kind of like me. It's a humbling. It's a humbling chapter for for Christians, because his basically it's God's way of saying, you are the only difference between you and the Ninevites is the grace of God. That's it. Hundred percent. You're you're just as rotten, maybe even worse. Mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah. So Second Chronicles. Um, we are going to Second Chronicles 20. Yeah, page. It's on page 700 in your blue Bible. Um, one of the best stories of the whole Bible. Yeah. Personal opinion. Personal opinion. Should we just read a little bit? I was gonna like, ask if I do all of them. Yeah. Do you um, do you want to do context first, or do you want me to? Can you do? I'll do that. <laughs> Mitchell. Um, and sorry. Do you mean like uh, read through the verses that we designated, mm-hmm. and then let ask like lead discussion, mm-hmm. and you lead. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. All right. So context. We're if if you've made it to page seven hundred. Um, chapter twenty of Second Chronicles. Chronicles basically looks at the history of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. So. Um, you know, after David rises to the king, uh, to, to be the uh, after after Saul and then David, um, and then there's Solomon. The kingdom of Israel divides. You have a northern kingdom, you have a southern kingdom. Southern kingdom is called Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. They're generally pretty faithful. Uh, northern kingdom is called Israel. They're bad at the bone. Like bad news. Um, and uh, first, uh, first and second Chronicles looks at both the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel both the northern and southern. And Second Chronicles pretty much just, it only talks about the kings of Judah. And so, um, so this book, or sorry, this chapter, verse 20, is about one of the kings, his name is Jehoshaphat. And he is one of the most faithful of the kings of Judah. And um, he, has, he has his moment, but generally he's very, very faithful. And so uh, this is a, basically a story about a huge challenge that the Judahites come up against and how, how they respond and how the Lord is gracious to them. All right, so um, let's just read through this whole thing, um, and then we will, I will kind of put it on y'all, ask what the needs and the graces are. So be looking for that as we read. Um, and does anyone want to read? Or? Let's see. All right. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites went with some of the Menites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Gedi. Sure. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat called to the choir of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You can stop there. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, does anyone see a great need in that part of uh, the need of Jehoshaphat and his army? What is that great need? Protection. <coughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What's that? I mean, what's the problem? Yeah. yeah, an army that's got like you know five times more people than they do. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they're great. They're greatly outnumbered, and the army is approaching fast. That part about Hayes is on Tamar in Getty, whatever that means. It means they're close. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, so um, their great need is they need protection, um, and really they're not going to get through this without God. They are, like I said, greatly outnumbered. Um, and so, yeah, let's continue on. Does anyone want to read from 13 to 23? I will. Okay. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon, came upon Jehazel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of <laughs> Ananiah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerusalem. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be disgraced. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites, no, Kohathites, and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. <coughs> Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Koah. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. All right, so um, there's definitely a lot of grace in this part. Um, there's a lot of verses that highlight the grace, um, especially, you know, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for this battle is not yours but God's. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. So this story, I think, really, really highlights God's grace. Um, you know, they didn't even have to fight. Um, Jehoshaphat and them, you know, a couple days ago were scared for their lives. You know, they knew they were going to be defeated. And now here's God. Um setting these armies against each other, and nobody even has touched Jehoshaphat's army. So, um, 
does anyone else see any instances of grace in this? His promise came before, after his promises when they sang and praised him. It mm-hmm. wasn't because they did that. Mm-hmm. He promised first and then they responded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, I also think that uh, the, there's a big grace in that he told them that they were going to be, you know, safe and um, that they were going to be okay. Because um, lots of times, you know, God doesn't tell us that we're going to be okay in certain situations. But in this situation, he came to Jehoshaphat and told him, it is okay, I'm with you, you will not have to fight this. Um, so um, we can apply this to today in that there's a lot of things that happen to us. And because we're 20th century Western Americans, we think there's stuff that we need to do to save ourselves to kind of be self-sufficient and, um, you know, do our own thing. But lots of times, like this, um, like Jehoshaphat, the Lord's calling us just to be still and let him handle it. Um, Because honestly, he knows how to handle our situations uh, way more than we do. Um, More than anything, he loves us and um, knows each of our stories backwards and forwards. And he provides for us. And sometimes, as with Jonah, you know, he tells us to go do something for him. In the Israelites, he deems the people as high as kings because he says they are who they are his children and because he has that power. Um, And in this last passage, we learn that if we just listen to what he's telling us, we sometimes only have to be still and uh, let him fulfill his purposes with each of us and let him fight for us because we are his beloved children. Good. Well, good. Um... One thing we left out, I, I, I wish we hadn't done this, but the last part of the story is, so God has fought the battle. The, the people have turned on each other, the, the Ammonites and the Munites um, and the Moabites. And so basically when they wake up, they see that they've killed, they've killed each other. And the Judites go down and collect all of the, the plunder, all the booty. From, they, they said there was so much to collect that they couldn't carry it all back. And so that is just like such a, such a picture of the gospel in the sense of Jesus uh, you know, lives the life that we can't live on our behalf, dies the death that we deserved on our behalf, and there is like such an inheritance. It's not just that God gets us out of hell. It's not just that God forgives our sins. It's that there's a, there is plunder to recover in that we're adopted as children and that we're made righteous and that the Holy Spirit comes to live with us uh, and, and the presence of God is with us for the rest of our life. So... Anyhow, just to the kind of the above and beyond uh, of, of of the riches that Christ has, has given us is unreal. Mm-hmm. Do, you have, do you have anything else to say? Mm-mm. Last thing I'm going to say is, um, you know, so we're looking at this dynamic of uh, our need as humans and God's uh, God's propensity to provide grace and redemption for us in in how we're reading the Bible here. But this is really the dynamic by which we live our life. This is really the the lens through which we see our life. You know, when you leave today, you, you will have a need, you know, whether it's your need to, to be patient with your children or your need to not get angry at the person who cut you off on 280 or your need for strength to make it through the afternoon or, what, you know, whatever it is. So we're constantly seeing our need, and then the response is repentance to turn and rely on God's grace in the same way that Jehoshaphat does. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's why I say a gospel rhythm. 
That's kind of the rhythm by which we live. And the thing is, is you know, it talks about in, in Jehoshaphat how what he does is he seeks the Lord. It says three different times, he sought the Lord, he sought the Lord, he sought the Lord in two verses. And so the more that in relationship we're seeking the Lord, the more aware we're going to become of our need. And the more we know God's character, the more confidence we're going to have that God is faithful to provide grace and redemption when we need it. So you did a good job. High five. Thank you. Thank you. You wanna, you wanna pray for us? Uh, dear Lord, um, thank you for this day and for all the people in this room. Um, thank you that you provide for us and that you give us grace that is made sufficient in our weakness. Um, thank you for loving us perfectly and for sending your son to die for our sins. Uh, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on.